This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Good morning, River Church. All right. We are finishing up this week our series entitled, Who is This Jesus? And if you're new here today, you're saying, why did, why did we do a series entitled, Who is This Jesus? Well, because we believe there's a lot of people out here who are asking that question. And the truth is that there's a lot of people not just asking that question, but there's also a lot of people answering that question. And the truth of the matter is a lot, sometimes a lot of people who are answering that question are not really giving the uh, answer that is maybe the correct answer. See, there's all these ideas out there about who is this guy. Like some people would say, we walked about through the first series about all these different ideas that people had about Jesus. And my, the one that cracks me up the most is like hippie Jesus, who's like, it's all good, brother. Just do whatever you want, baby. It's all good. I got you. That ain't Jesus. And then we talked about last week about the Jesus who's also, who some people think Jesus is. And he's up there in heaven looking at you and you're going, that's one. That's two. And we think if we get to three, he's bringing down the thunder. He's bringing down the lightning. But that's not Jesus either. So we decided, what are we going to do? We're going to walk through who is this Jesus. So we walked through week one. We talked about Jesus as God. We, we really just wanted to answer the question, who did he say he was? Right? Because there's all these people talking about who he is. Well, who exactly did he say he was? And first and foremost, Jesus claimed to be God, the Savior of the world, the King of all kings, Lord of lords. Then week two, we talked about how Jesus claimed to be our friend and not friend like your buddy or pal, but Emmanuel, the God who understands what you walk through, the God who is with us, the God who knows where you are right now today because he lived it, he walked through it, he experienced it. And he knows what you're going through today. And he says, I want to be the Jesus that is God with you, the God who walks with you no matter where you are. And then week three, he's the miracle worker. The God who can change circumstances, the God who can heal lives, the God who can bring families back together, the God who can save and restore souls. He's the miracle worker. He can perform miracles today. And we joked about it because there's some people who said, well, I don't really think he does miracles anymore. Some people say, well, I think he does, but not for me. And then we joke about the people who see miracles everywhere, right? Like you got a good parking spot today and you're like, that was Jesus. No, we just have a big parking lot (laughs) and we make the volunteers park in the back. (laughs) except for a few of you who have not been doing what I've been asking you to do. Just kidding. But he's the miracle worker. He can still work miracles in your life today. And then last week, he's the shepherd, the shepherd who knows the sheep, the shepherd who's known by the sheep, the shepherd who protects and fights for the sheep. And then this week, we're going to talk about Jesus as the lamb. And that means a whole lot of wonderful things for you and me today. So Jesus as the lamb, I'm going to look at John chapter one, verse 29 says the next day, John, and this is, this is not John, the disciple. This is John the Baptist. And he's looking up and it says, and John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What's interesting about this lamb, because you you know, it's kind of the lamb. We don't really think, why is is he called the lamb? Well, Jesus actually called the lamb of God over 104 times in scripture. He's called the lamb more than he's called anything else in scripture. Isn't that interesting? More than anything else in scripture, he's called the lamb. And so you might say, well, where do we get that? Why are we calling the lamb? Just just pick an animal? Like, well, lamb, we'll go with lamb, right? Is that what we did? 
No, there, there's actually a reason for it. And, and you know, Easter uh, is coming up next week. I'm so excited about Easter. I can't wait to just celebrate and party and worship Jesus for everything that he's done for us next week, like we're doing today, right? Not that today's not important because it is. But I can't wait for that. But in my family, we have a lot of different family traditions. Anybody in here have family traditions on Easter? Anybody decorate some eggs on Easter? And decorate some Easter eggs? Anybody go to church on Easter? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Um, how, how about, uh, we're actually doing an Easter egg hunt next week, next Saturday. That's a big tradition. Um, we have Easter lunch with the family, right? All the family comes together, at least in my, in my house, and we'll do, all the family comes over, and we have a big lunch, and Easter lunch tradition. And then you got to have Easter clothes. Anybody ever do that one? I hated that as a kid. Because every single Easter, Easter's coming, I'm like, oh, I go and I get my mom, maybe get this little suit. I mean, I look awesome. I look awesome. But you know how hard it is to hunt Easter eggs in a suit? It's difficult. Still got most of the eggs, just so you know. And I still have actually a problem with that because we would all go get all the eggs and they would sit us down and then divide up the eggs so each kid had equal eggs. That's communism, people. That's not, that's not America, Okay. That's common. Sorry, I'm not pre. Take that out of the podcast. We don't want to start any political fights, okay? <laughs> but anyways, I, I, that was a tradition that I always, you know, I liked it. it. Drove me crazy. But one of my favorite Easter traditions, and my family is just weird, so maybe we just did this one and you didn't. Y'all are really wondering what it is now. We every single year we would watch Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments on TV. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Some of you guys are like, who is, that's the crazy NRA gun guy, right, with the guns and stuff? No, he's an actor. He's pretty famous. And so every year we'd watch Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, you know, Moses. You know what I'm talking about now? Let my people go. That guy, right? And so if you know the story, if you watched it, um, this story, which is actually in the Bible, <laughs> this story is really where we get the beginnings of, at least in Scripture, of understanding Jesus as the Lamb. It, it all comes from, a lot of it comes from this story. And so if you know the story, it starts out, Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And so God comes to Moses. And he says, hey, I want to set my people free. I'm, they've been there for too long. I've heard, God says, I've heard my people's cries which is pretty cool for us to remember that. When you're crying out to God, life isn't going like you think it would go or you expect it to go, and you're crying out to God, you're going, God, help me. I need you. Hear me. He says, I hear your cries. Know that, David. He says, I've heard my people's cries. I've decided to set them free. So he sends Moses to set them free, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, it's time to let God's people go. And you know what Pharaoh says? No. He says, no, not today. I kind of like having slaves who do everything I want right? Not, not a bad gig for Pharaoh. And so God says, all right, I'm gonna have to do some pretty drastic things. And so he sends a plague and says, all right, how about now? Nope. Sends another plague. How about now? Nope. And overall, God ends up sending 10 plagues to, on Egypt to try to get Pharaoh to release his slaves. And the last and final plague, the one that finally forces Pharaoh to let it go, to let the Egyptians or the, the Israelites go, is a tragic and sad and awful. But what happened is they had the death of every firstborn child in Egypt. It's tragic and sad and awful. But even in that, there was some beauty because even in that, God protected his people. And what God did is he gave them a way out. And he said, if you take a lamb and you sacrifice a lamb and you take the blood of that lamb and you smear the blood of that lamb over your doorpost of your homes, then when that death comes through and it's going to kill all of these children, which is awful, when it comes through, it's going to protect the blood of the lamb. is going to protect your home. By the blood of the lamb, you will be saved. 
by the blood of the Lamb. And we actually get the term Passover from this story because in this story, the death passes over the homes of every person who has the blood of the Lamb smeared over their doorpost. Passover. And Passover is actually something that's still celebrated today by the Jewish people because what they do is they look back and they remember how the blood of the lamb protected them, how God protected them from this tragic, awful thing. And so they still celebrate it through what they call Passover. Passover, they still celebrate it. And today is actually, like Ryan mentioned earlier, today is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the week in history that, that when Jesus is walking into Jerusalem on the donkey. Y'all remember that story? He doesn't come in riding on a big horse. He comes in riding on a donkey and all of these people, all the Jewish people are lying the streets and they're putting down palm branches, why we call it Palm Sunday, palm branches in front of him and they're screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest and they're worshiping him and worshiping him and praising him his name and then three days later they're yelling crucify him and they kill him on a cross. A little schizophrenic people, right? But so this is actually Palm Sunday when Jesus is coming in uh, to Jerusalem on that donkey. That's what we're celebrating today. But the reason why he was coming into Jerusalem was to celebrate Passover. He was coming to celebrate the Passover feast, which had happened. The reason we're celebrating it was that event that had happened all those years ago. Passover is also what Jesus was celebrating when he's sitting at the Last Supper with all of his disciples. You know the famous painting with all the people? Jesus in the center, all the people. That's what Jesus is celebrating. They're celebrating Passover, what Jesus actually then would turn Passover into communion, where he says, take this bread, take this wine, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. And for that, in that moment, for the Christian, he's saying, I'm changing Passover into something else. Because the central theme of Passover to that point had been the Passover lamb whose blood had protected the Israelites from death and Egypt. And this Passover lamb is kind of a central part of Passover. And Jesus, as he takes the bread and the wine, says, Passover is now over for the Christian because I am about to become the lamb for you. He says, I am about to die for you. I am about to shed my blood for you. And now I'm going to save you like that Passover lamb saved you those thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago. Now I'm going to save you, except it's not going to be from some temporary death. I'm going to save you from sin, death, hell, and the grave forever. Amen. And so today at the end of service, we're actually going to celebrate communion in here and we're going to worship Jesus for exactly what he told us to do on that Passover night. And so as Jesus comes over and he's considered the Passover lamb, what I want to talk to you about today is what exactly that means for us. Because I can say Jesus was the Passover lamb. He represented, now he represents the Passover lamb. And you might ask and wonder, okay, well, that's cool. I, I like that. I kind of understand that. But what exactly was the Passover lamb? What does that mean? Why was the Passover lamb so important other than the Passover lamb protected them from the death in Egypt? Well, I want to give you three things this morning about what the Passover lamb was and how Jesus becomes that for us, okay? Number one, the Passover lamb was perfect. If you have notes this morning, this is going to be our first blank. The Passover lamb was perfect. Exodus, in the book of Exodus, it gives us a bunch of rules for the Passover. It tells the Jewish people how they're supposed to celebrate it, how they're supposed to treat the lamb, uh, what, how they even select the lamb, uh, all these different things. And Exodus 12.5 says this, this, this is what the Passover lamb is supposed to be. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male, and you may take it from either the sheep or the goats. And so 
the idea was for Passover, they had to select a lamb from their flock, or they had to find a lamb uh, to be sacrificed eventually. And so they would take this, this Passover lamb, and the rules were the lamb had to be perfect. The lamb could have no blemishes. It, could have be the be- it had to be the best of the best of the flock. And, and to ensure that the lamb was approved and perfect, several days before Passover would begin, the, the Jewish people would make a trek to Jerusalem. They'd go into the temple, and they would bring the lamb into the temple and allow the priest to inspect the lamb to make sure that it had no blemishes, make sure it had no issues, make sure it was the best of the best of the best, to make sure it was perfect. You guys know the story of the money changers in the temple where Jesus throws over the, kicks over stuff and pulls out that whip and just starts beating on people? I don't know if he actually hit anybody. I shouldn't say that. You know that story? That actually happened because of this. Because what happens is uh, at this time, there's these, the priest decided that they were going to uh, make a little bit of money on this event. And so what they would do is people would come in and they would bring their lamb, the lamb that they had raised from, from birth for this event, they would bring their lamb and the priest would look at it. And even if there was nothing wrong with it, they'd go, oh, here's an issue right here. Here's a problem over here. Here's, a, here's an issue here. And they go, you can't, you can't sacrifice this lamb. You can't, this lamb's not perfect. And so they say, tell you what, I'll buy that lamb back from you for pennies on the dollar. So I'm not going to pay you what it's worth. I'll buy it from you for pennies on the dollar. And if you just walk right down this assembly right over here, we just happen to have another lamb that we'll sell to you that's perfect. Pre-approved, baby. Pre-approved. You ever get credit cards in the mail? You're pre-approved. Don't do it. You are not pre-approved, baby. Don't do it. Right? And what would actually happen is, amazingly, they would take that same lamb that they said wasn't perfect, they would put it over and bring it with the other lambs that they were reselling, and so you might walk into the temple, sell your lamb because they said something was wrong with it, and then walk over and buy your lamb back without even knowing it. As you can imagine, this made Jesus a little bit upset, because what was happening is they were taking something that was beautiful and perfect and making a mockery out of something that was holy. And so Jesus gets upset, and just like he does today, he defended the innocent people who were being taken advantage of. But the lamb was supposed to be perfect. And you say, why did the lamb have to be perfect? Because the perfection of the lamb was foreshadowing of the one who would come and take away our sin. The perfect lamb was foreshadowing of the one who come and would redeem us from our sin, who would reconcile us back to God. The perfect lamb that they had to have for this event was foreshadowing of the perfect Jesus who would come and represent us on the cross. You say, well, why did the lamb have to be perfect? Why did Jesus have to be perfect? Because the imperfect can only be redeemed by the perfect. You can't earn your salvation. You know why you can't earn your salvation? Because you're screwed up. You say, Mike, how dare you? Well, you are. <laughs> you tell me you never sinned. You tell me you never messed up. You said you never done anything wrong. I know I've done lots of things, right? But the truth of the matter is the best of 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 us in this room standing next to Jesus are completely blemished and imperfect. We, the problem is a lot of times we live with that 51% mentality, which we've talked about before, but that mentality where if this is Hitler, he's a zero, Jesus is a 100. As long as I get to like 51, I'm good. As long as I'm like a 51 on that scale, like I do more good than bad, then I'm, I, I'm okay. I, I made it. I'm all right. The problem is the Bible teaches us that there's no 51s getting to heaven. Only 100. And you say, well, Mike, that's impossible. I can't. I, I, I've already messed up. I can't be. A... Exactly. Because while sin makes you a zero on that scale, there is no 51. There's zero or 100. Sin makes you a zero. Jesus and his perfection makes us 100. 
One bluish, one blemish ruined the lamb and made him unacceptable to be sacrificed. One blemish ruined us. And believe me, we got more than one. Only by the perfection of the lamb are we made acceptable to God. Jesus, because of his perfection, redeems the imperfect. Can we say amen to that? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you are known, for you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life. For you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers. It's been passed down to you, not with perishable things like silver and gold. You can't buy it. You can't earn it, right? You can't, silver and gold, that's fleeting. You can't get it from silver and gold, but you were redeemed, why? With the precious blood of Christ, like that lamb without defect or blemish. Praise God for Jesus' perfection. If he wasn't perfect, we'd still be lost without hope. But praise God because the perfect redeems the imperfect. The lamb was perfect. Number two, the lamb was sacrificed. The lamb was sacrificed. The next thing Exodus tells us about what, how the feast was supposed to go, Exodus 12, 6, you are to keep it until the 14th day of the month and then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. Can you just imagine that? Thousands of people at twilight at one time sacrificing animals for forgiveness of their sin. Could you just imagine what that would have, that would have been crazy. Jesus was slaughtered. The perfect lamb was slaughtered on our behalf. And I say slaughtered because it wasn't pretty. When you think about movies like The Passion of the Christ, things like that, they, they, they really do make it a little bit more real to us. We're able to look at it and go, wow, that was crazy. Like that was not a little bit of blood. And the truth is, is that I love a good movie with a great hero, don't you? Like one of my favorite movies of all time is Armageddon. Anybody ever seen Armageddon? I'm throwing it way back. But some of you guys are like, what is he talking about? Like, but anyways, in the movie at the end of Armageddon, like Ben Affleck, he, he selected the short straw. And so he's got to go down the tunnel and go sacrifice himself for the whole world. If you know the story, you follow me. If not, go watch it today. And you'll be like, man, Mike's so good at preaching. That was a great story. Um, and so anyways, as he's doing that, Bruce Willis, who is his father-in-law, like says, I'll walk you to the tunnel where you're going to have to go down and die. And he does it, and he takes, takes Ben Affleck and throws him out of the way and jumps in and goes down so he can't do it, and he goes and dies and saves the world. It's beautiful, and I tear up thinking about it right now. We love stories like that, don't we? We love movies like that. We love ideas like that. But the, tr- the truth is, like we love, we love movies about a hero who sacrifices himself for the characters we love. But those movies are a small, tiny, tiny, tiny picture of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Because we, were, we weren't just headed for death. We were headed for hell. We were, dead if, we were headed for hopelessness. We had no way out. And our hero, Jesus, comes in and says, I will willingly give my life on our behalf to represent us to defeat sin, to be our sacrifice. Sin requires a blood sacrifice to redeem it. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin are death. Sin is serious. That's why Jesus had to give his life for it. And it was either going to be you or me as the sacrifice for the sin, or it was going to be Jesus. The problem with you and me is that we're not perfect, as we've discussed. We're messed up. And so our sacrifice was never going to be good enough. Our sacrifice was never going to redeem us. You can say, God, I'll give my life. Kill me. Take my sacrifice now. Just, just, just give me salvation. He'd say, you can't. You're not perfect. You're messed up. So even at our best, our sacrifice would never be enough. 
It was going to be you or me, and only the perfect can redeem the perfect. You're going to get used to hearing that one today. And because Jesus was perfect, his sacrifice was perfect, and he makes us stand perfect before God. What's great about Jesus' sacrifice, what, what I love about Jesus' sacrifice, and we all should love about Jesus' sacrifice, is that when he became the sacrifice for you and I, that was it. When Jesus sacrificed, was sacrificed on the cross for you and I, he defeated sin, not just for today, not just some of your sin. He conquered all sin. Exodus 29, 38, and 39. This is kind of interesting. It says, this is what you're to offer regularly on the altar every day. Two-year-old lambs in the morning will offer one lamb, and at twilight, offer another lamb. And so during this festival, they would sacrifice two lambs, and they would slaughter two lambs a day for forgiveness. And God had made a covenant with them to do this. So they're going to have to do this once a year. And this idea was that you do this as a temporary covering for your sin as a temporary covering for your sin. And so they had to do this for years and years and years and years until God would send the one true lamb who would defeat sin and death once and for all by the shedding of his blood. And so in a sense, every year they're sacrificing another animal, asking God, begging God to forgive us for one more year. Just uh, We're just trying to appease you for one more year. And so they had to do this every year and year and year after year after year after year after year. And after Jesus' death, there is no more need for any more lambs to be slaughtered. And I don't just mean real lambs. I'm talking about figurative too. After Jesus' death, there's no more trying to earn it because he has done it for you and I. Some of us think we got to keep slaughtering lambs, man. Some of us think we got to keep earning it. We got to keep trying. Like maybe Jesus will like me if I just work hard enough. He already loves you, man. Like my son this morning, I'm going to let you all into my life. He was playing like pirates or something up here with drumsticks and fighting. I said, let's go to class. And my son like beat me with that stick. He's fighting me, kicking me, yelling at me. He's a wonderful son, but I love him to death. The point is he did all of that. And you know what? I just wanted to squeeze him and squeeze him and squeeze him and squeeze him. And after all of that, I love him with all of my heart. And the only reason I'm frustrated with him in that moment is because I want to discipline him to make him better. You understand? You can't earn it. You can't. You can't. You can't do enough to get. I, I had a friend named Amy, um, and and we were talking one time, and she said, "Man, when I was a kid, she said I was terrified, because every single night I thought God was going to send me to hell. I was terrified to die in my sleep because I I just knew there was something I did wrong that day that I hadn't asked forgiveness for. <laughs> what a way to live life as a five year old, right? My goodness. And she would pray this prayer: God, forgive me my sins. I remember. Forgive me my sins. I don't which I also do think God honors that prayer, don't you? It's a pretty solid prayer. But I feel like some of us even today live that, live with that, that mentality, with that thought, like over and over. Listen, Jesus does not need to be sacrificed again on your behalf. His sacrifice on the cross was sin-shattering, world-changing. It covers your sin. It heals the relationship with you and God. It earns forgiveness for you. Accept it. Live in it. And just like in Egypt, as death passed over the households of all who had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, we are saved from sin, death, hell, and the grave because of the final sacrifice of our lamb. It's enough for you. It's enough 
for you. Now follow him with your life and be set free. Live in that freedom. Worship Jesus for that freedom. Devote yourself to being a follower and a disciple of Jesus because of all that he's done for you. The wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus. Jesus makes you holy. The imperfect redeems the perfect. Number three, and finally, well, number one, the lamb was perfect. Number two, the lamb was sacrificed. Number three, the lamb was shared. For me, as I was studying this this week, this was the coolest part. I mean, the other stuff's awesome too, but I knew the other stuff. This I didn't know about. The coolest part for me. So you have the lamb who was inspected, the lamb was sacrificed, and then at the end of the day, they would have this meal where they would have to eat the lamb. So they would consume the lamb. And that was, again, at the Last Supper, where Jesus is sitting at the Last Supper with the disciples, that's what they're doing. They're, they're consuming the lamb. The, the, they're eating the Passover lamb. And so what's interesting is that they couldn't just eat some of the lamb. They had to eat all of the lamb. They had to eat all of the lamb. The problem is, for some families, the lamb was too big for one family. And so Exodus 12.4 tells them what to do. If, it, if the household is too small for a whole family, that person and the neighbor nearest to his house are to select one based on the combined number of people, and you should apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. He says if any lamb is too small, or if any household is too small, what they're to do is to share the lamb with their neighbors, to share the lambs with their community. They're to go in and invite others in their community into their household and say, let's partake of this lamb together. Let's consume the lamb together. And as I was like just thinking about this, I thought that was so cool because here we have this lamb that represents salvation, that represents forgiveness of sin, that represents God's protection, God's favor, God's saving their souls. And here they are, God says, now come together as a community and celebrate that together. Come together as a community and take part in that together. It's not just for you by yourself and your house, ignoring everybody else. Come together as a community and consume the lamb. Isn't that cool? And today we're going to do that with communion. We're going to come together as a body of believers and we're going to celebrate the lamb. We're going to take communion. We're going to worship the lamb for everything that he has done for us. I also think as I was, you know, working through this in regards of Jesus being the lamb, I think this is also matters. I think this also matters for relation to our community, not just our community here, the River Church, but those outside of these walls. Because as I was processing this, I'm thinking we are a people and we are a church. If you're a Christian in here today who have partaken of the Lamb, right? So that means that you've experienced Jesus as the Lamb. You've experienced His perfection, His sacrifice, His salvation. You are experiencing healing. You are experiencing hope. Hopefully, you are experiencing His life change through discipleship and growth. And, And as I'm thinking about that, I think that Lamb that we're consuming, that we're experiencing, that we're knowing in Jesus, I think that Lamb's too big for us. I think that Lamb's too big for just the River Church. And we're, what I'm saying here, is I think our church is too small. You say, Mike, is this like a church growth talk? Yeah, that's where we're going. No. I think every church is too small. You say, well, Mike, what about those big, huge mega churches with those millions of people? I think those are too small too. And you're like, well, Mike, I hate those churches. I wasn't asking what you liked. I'm telling you they're too small. 
And the reason why they're too small is because there's still lamb left be, to be consumed as long as there's a single person who's not experienced the same life-giving, soul-saving, world-changing redemption and reconciliation because of the lamb of God. And so River Church, we have a responsibility to share the lamb. So this isn't a church growth point. This is a church-wide, worldwide church growth talk. We need to share the lamb that saved our souls. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So in Jesus, God is reconciling, bringing the world to himself, not counting their trespasses passes against them. So that's the story. In Jesus, God is reconciling us to himself. He's bringing salvation through Jesus, not counting your sins against you. He's saving you. You see that second part? And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us, to those who have experienced the lamb, to those who have who've known the lamb. He says that message of reconciliation is now for you to share with those around you. What, what that means is God saying again in the New Testament, share the lamb, share the lamb. What does that mean? It means because of his perfection, we are made perfect. Because of his sacrifice, we have found reconciliation to God. And because someone shared the lamb with you, you have found salvation. Share the lamb. And I don't know what that means for you. Does that mean invite someone to Easter? Absolutely. Absolutely. Invite someone to Easter next week. But it also means tell someone this week about what Jesus has done in your life. How has he impacted you? How has he healed you? How has he helped you? What what is he doing? Just make that a part of your normal conversation with people around you. Buy someone lunch this week and say, I I mean, I don't know. I just love you. I want you to know how much God loves you. But share the lamb because Jesus is too big for us. Amen. He makes us perfect before God. He reconciles us to God through his sacrifice. Now let's, as a community of believers, let's share the lamb with each other. Let's celebrate the lamb with each other. And let's make sure that we share the lamb with the world around us who haven't had the opportunity to consume. One thing that is beautiful here is that we get to share the lamb together as a community of Christians. And so today we're gonna experience him together. We're gonna worship him together. We're gonna be transformed by him together as a community of believers. We're gonna walk through life together. Isn't that cool that we get to do that? As we share Jesus and experience Jesus. And today through communion, we're gonna celebrate that together. And so what we're going to do is as we celebrate what Jesus told us to do at Passover is communion. It's a time where we have these little wafers and grape juice. Sorry, I couldn't bring wine into the school for you. And whenever I'm, the band's going to come up and they're going to play and, and I'm just going to pray. And when, after I pray, what I'm going to invite you to do is you just come on down. We'll open these up. You grab the little wafer, you grab the grape juice and you just go back to your seat. And I want you to sit there and the band's going to be singing, pray. We're going to sing a worship song together. But as we're doing that, you just pray and you thank Jesus. God, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your perfection that makes me perfect. Thank you for your sacrifice that reconciles me. Thank you that the lamb's too big for me. And we're going to worship him together and you just eat it, you drink it whenever you want and then stand up and let's worship him with our voices this morning. Amen? All right.
I'm going to pray for us. And then whenever you're ready, you come on down, okay? This is open for anyone who would like to. You don't have to be a member of the river. It doesn't matter. You come on down, okay? It's for any who love Jesus and have been saved by his grace. Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that we get to partake of the Lamb, God. You are so good and you are so kind. God, you are so generous to us. How you redeem us and save us. How you make us perfect before you, Jesus. And so today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, God, we worship you for your sacrifice on the cross. We worship you for your blood that was spilled that redeems our souls, God. We worship you that you change our lives, that you change our stories, that you heal our families, that you heal our lives. God, we thank you for that this morning. And we worship you for your salvation this morning, God. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.